I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 276. Okay, right out the gate, if I said, oh, do I have granny beads? What am I talking about? Sweat? No! Colby and I went golfing the other day. Y'all, it is hot. If anybody in the fucking winter says one more damn time, I can't wait for summer, I'm throat punching you. Don't throat punch me. Donna, we are in a heat advisory. I know. It is so goddamn hot out there. They are recommending you defer outside activities. But you didn't. I know. Uh-huh. Because I got shit to do. And I only have a couple of days to get things in. So anyway, Colby and I go golfing. I'm dying. <laughs> I love that that's what you have to fit in. Look, I'm dying. It is 875 degrees. Cannot play every single hole because I may kill over. And when we leave, we, you know, got to go eat. And I was like, ooh, I got to make sure I don't have any granny beads because I was, you know, dirty and hot. Oh, okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. Colby had no idea. Granny beads are like, it's like the dirt that gets in your fat roll in your neck. Yeah. You got them all the time as a kid. You know, you just got that one roll. Even if you're skinny, you got one. Colby had never heard of it. I was like, like, how have you not? Yeah. We grew up in the same area. So like if, you know, it's weird Mm -hmm. if we don't know the same things about the same things. Yeah. Why is this a vocab test every time? I don't know. But if I keep eating any more Pop-Tarts, that is my hyper fixation (laughs) right now. I have perma heartburn from the Pop-Tarts. And I literally noticed that my scrubs are tighter. I was like, oh, and because I got two boxes on a hyper, like ADHD hyperfixation <laughs> mode. Was it from Sam's? And then I got from Sam's. Oh, God. <laughs> we, I'm, I am not joking. At one point, we had over 50 things of Pop Tarts in this house because the Sam's box was 48. Oh, fuck. And I had more left over from the other two boxes. <laughs> Do we still have them? Yes, but not nearly that many. <laughs> I mean, that Sam's haul was like a week ago. <laughs> I know, we were recording last weekend, and you're like, okay, I'm going to take off my headset so I can eat this pop tart. <laughs> well, my headset has the microphone built in. Y'all did not want to hear that. <laughs> Jax is living his best life, though, because um, I eat two packs at a time. <laughs> so I've been taking the edges off and giving them to him. Oh, God. I mean, you got to have all the different flavors. I'm like, <laughs> do I want blueberry or do I want strawberry? Doesn't matter. I'll eat both. And a newfound like cherry. That would be so good, though, if they had a combo pack. Yeah. Well, the Sam's one is, but not in, like, one sleeve. No, that's what I mean. No, I know you mean in, like, one thing, but I mean, just eat two packs. (laughs) (laughs) And then your clothes won't fit like mine. Speaking of candy, because that's what a Pop-Tart is. Oh, for sure. We had an Instagram message from someone over in the UK, and they were like, can you send me a picture of Paydays and airheads because i don't know what y'all are talking about (laughs) well you know when i lived in houston i rear-ended somebody because i was messing with a pop tart (laughs) (laughs) because i used to eat them every morning why was that my breakfast i don't know that's like snack at best you wait you've hit two people no, it was a guardrail at... No, it is two people. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've had three. This, this, look. The, shut up. <laughs> I'm just realizing over here. I did not know the Pop-Tart thing, I okay, don't think. Okay. So I had taken off work to go to a doctor's appointment. And I was trying to wipe... Wipe what? The granny beads that fall off of them. What are they? Like the sprinkles. I was trying to wipe... <laughs> I was like, off your neck? You had to wipe no, it? No, no, like, no. I was like some of the... Like I had moved the pack and like the little leftover sprinkles had fallen off and I was wiping it off my console. And I was looking down, wiping it on the floor. Because of course you can't leave it because you have ADD. Well, I was at a light and she was going and then she wasn't going anymore and I tapped her. <laughs> Now, meanwhile, on another week, those granny bead Pop-Tart pieces would be there for a whole week. Oh, and she'd be for fine. sure. But in that moment, they had to get got. <laughs> yes. If that's not Carrie in a nutshell right there. <laughs> so, okay. Not going to get into the whole submarine thing by any means. Oh, god! Because there are two camps. You're either love the memes or you think that the the people doing the memes are going to hell i guess because of all of that one of our streaming services was like here's the titanic do you want to watch it so colby put it on last night while i was making dinner and i just while i was in the kitchen did the oh god <laughs> do, 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 do. like i did that yeah. part that terribly like it was that bad <laughs> colby was like i thought that was the tv <laughs> 
was so terrible. It was not even close. And he <laughs> truly thought it came from the TV. Like he said, I didn't realize the TV was that loud. You was- can do no wrong with Colby. <laughs> No wrong. She could have granny beads. Did he say, oh, I love those on you. <laughs> Where'd you get that new necklace? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He's like, it sounded so good. I was like, no, it didn't. It sounded like what y'all just heard. Oh, God. You know, I really want to be on water talk, but I can't because 97% of the stuff they put in the water hurts my bladder, so I can't do it. Yeah, I can't do a lot of those because it'll give me a headache. It's probably all the chemicals. Probably. But yeah, all those like powders and stuff, they have too much acid in it. And Mm. I will be in an icy flare for days. But you can do it with Dr. Pepper. Yes. (laughs) It really is different. Like if I drink too much soda, it will put me in a flare. That's what I'm saying. But like I have to drink a shit ton of soda for Mm. days. But if I drink like one of those little flavor packets in water for like two days, I'm in a flare. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Remember last time we went to the uh, True Crime Podcast Festival and I had been sick and I did Alka-Seltzer and I was in such a flare? Yes. Because the Alka-Seltzer hurt my bladder. Yes. But speaking of the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival, tell them, Donna. (laughs) I've been talking this whole time. I know, I know. Okay. It is August 25th through the 27th in Austin, Texas. And we're going to be there with lots of other people. So it's not just us, but we're doing a live show. And then after that, we're doing Paranormal Bingo. Then outside of the festival, we're having ourselves a paranormal investigation at Pioneer Farms and then a meetup at Star Bar. So you can spend all the time you want with us. Or just say hi and bye because we are a lot. (laughs) Yeah, true. Another way you can hang out with us, every Sunday night we have a watch party, but it's completely free. And we watch all kinds of stuff. We do true crime. We do paranormal. We do silly paranormal shows. It's just, you know, you get to watch one thing. No one has to pay for it. And you stream it. And then you could talk on the side, like AOL chat room style. So it's just something that, you know, you could do from the comfort of your own home, on your phone, on your computer. And, you know, you don't have to put a bra on anything. And you still get to hang out. If you go in the Facebook group to events, you'll see the link. You can click it. It's through like Cosimo or Cosmio. Cosim- it's Cosme. Oh. But I always said Cosimi. But now they have an app, which makes things way easier. They used to not have an app. But yeah, it's a website. You don't have to download anything on your phone if you don't want to. Sometimes it's movies that just came out and you might not have that streaming service, but the person who streams it does. And so you get to see it for free. And the person who does it is Creep Mom every freaking Sunday. Yes. And she's amazing. Yeah. So thanks, Creep Mom. I will say the last one we watched was called The Summer of 84. And I was like, why are these kids up at like 12 o'clock? Don't they have school? And Creep Mom was like, it's The Summer Summer of 84. Four. Oh yeah. But it's on Shutter and it's amazing. It's kids, summer of 84, and they think that their neighbor is a serial killer. And so it's like them trying to figure it out and all. If you like that kind of movie, try it out. Summer of 84. So I've been reading this book I told y'all about, you know, the nanny. That you got from Colt Coffee. Yes. So I've been like in it, reading it. And Colby put on a movie the other night and he loves it when he puts on a movie and I actually like look up and like watch parts of it but he put on the movie megan the other night Uh uh-huh we watched that at a watch party it was actually pretty good it was i was surprised it was campy i mean like i kind of know what that means but (laughs) (laughs) like the ridiculousness of the doll and you know like how it did colby said that was a real girl playing that yes she did so well so amazing i bet those contacts hurt her eyes though (laughs) megan was fucking ruthless Mm -hmm. le esta gustando mi podcast Translation, are you liking my podcast? So clearly, we're talking about Babel. We all know the best way to learn a language is through immersion, you know, living in that place. But not everyone can do that. So the second best way to learn a language, Babel. You can start speaking a different language in just three weeks. When you go to Babbel, you know, .com slash creep, it's super easy to set up your account. It asks you what language you speak. It wants to know what you want to speak. It wants to know, hey, why do you want to speak this? Is it for work? Is it for fun? Is it for travel? Then it wants to know, okay, how much you know about this? You know none, you know a little, because it's got all different variations for people who may know a little, may not know any, maybe pretty decent at it, but you need a little help. And what I love about Babbel is that it helps you learn real life conversation skills. So it's easy to pick up on how to order food, ask for directions instead of just to the biblioteca. Babbel has over 10 million subscriptions. So that just tells you that this is quality stuff because people are sticking with it. 
And you know, you've heard Carrie say it before. The biggest thing for her is the speech recognition technology because it helps you improve your pronunciation and your accent. But one study found that using Babbel for just 15 hours is the equivalent to a full semester of college. And Babbel has bite-sized lessons. So you're not having to sit in a classroom for that whole semester to learn this language. They have games, they have podcasts. And if you do like having a teacher, there's classrooms like the virtual classrooms that you could do. And I know Donna already said it and I'm saying it again. The speech recognition is where it's at because when you have an accent on top of an accent, it makes it hard. But Babbel helps you with that. My other favorite part about Babbel is that it's science-backed cognitive tools and the lessons are created by real language teachers and voiced by real native speakers. So you're not having me trying to teach you French, even if I knew it because I don't, but even if I did. Wee wee. Yeah, I would say wee wee. (laughs) My dog went wee wee. (laughs) That is not right. (laughs) No matter how much science there is and no matter how many studies there are, Babbel is not going to make you feel like it's overly academic. It's rigid. It's not. It's easy. It's simple. It's fun. You play games. You can do all the things. So if you want to get in on this and start learning a language today, you got to go now. You can get up to 55% off your Babbel subscription by going to babbel.com slash creep. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creep for up to 55% off your Babbel subscription. So don't forget B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creep. Rules and restrictions may apply. Y'all, Care Of is back. Why? Because they care of you and you and you and you. Care of is a subscription service that ships high quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. How do they do that, you ask? Well, you got to go to their website. We'll tell you in a minute. Anticipation. You take a short but in-depth quiz about you, your lifestyle, your health goals, all the good good, and you are going to get a personalized doctor-backed recommendation. And then that stuff's going to get sent to your door. So you don't have to go to the pharmacy. You don't have to go to the market. You don't have to go anywhere but your house. And if you don't want to go there, go to your P.O. Box. <laughs> Care of makes taking your vitamins on the go this summer so convenient because they come in individual daily packs. So you know that's perfect for travel. I love that it has your name on it too. Mm-hmm. So if you are traveling with somebody, let's say you're traveling with a partner and you, you're packing for everybody and you got yours, mine, and ours in this bag. And you're like, oh, hell, which one's mine? Have no fear. It's got your name on it. True. Very true. Because if I take yours and it's got vitamin C in it, it destroys me. Can't do it, which is why it's not in my pack. <laughs> and how Carrie and I have different needs, it doesn't matter if your needs change because you can retake the quiz and they will adjust your routine to match. We're so excited that Care of is a sponsor of today's episode. And if you want to get in on this good good, you gotta go take the quiz. You gotta go to takecareof.com and enter code CREEP. 50 for 50% off your first care of order. That's takecareof.com and enter code creep50 for 50% off your first care of order. So like Donna said, if you want these high quality vitamins, supplements, powders to come to your door to save you from going to the market, doing all the things, head on over to takecareof.com slash creep50 for 50% off your first order. Okay, picture it. October 29th, 2006 and we're in Texas. So there's two guys out going target shooting and they're on this like oil lease property. Don't really know what that means but I think it means they found they struck oil and so they lease it. Oh. Could be completely wrong. Total guess. Insert. What's that hillbilly show? Oh my god I was just about to say it. Are they the Clampets? Maybe. So the guys are out on this oil lease property target shooting and they smell something and they're like "Uh oh what's that smell they see like a smoldering fire they're like dang somebody's burning a mannequin but when they get closer they know what we all already know it's not a mannequin it's never a mannequin and they see a young woman face down in a burn pile So the body that they found was a female. There was wood underneath and on top of her. There was a gas can that was left there. So they poured gas on her. But again, she was face down. So there was no features to be able to figure out who she was. What they did know that she was young, maybe in her late teens, early 20s. 
very petite. She's about 5'3", five, 5'4", five, maybe 100, 120 pounds because her body hadn't fully engulfed in the flames, but you couldn't make out like discernible characteristics from her face. But they knew that she had on jeans and had on a lavender shirt, but it wasn't a robbery because she still had $40 in her pocket. Which was hard for me to wrap my brain around. Like, sh- that she was burned enough that you couldn't see facial characteristics, but not burned to where you could still see clothes and she still had money in her pocket. You know, that was really hard for me to process. But you could tell that this girl had been well taken care of, though. Like, she didn't have any cavities. She didn't even have any fillings in her teeth. I mean, good Lord, I've got a hundred. Me too. But what was weird about her was that she still had some baby teeth. But she was older. Like, she was not young. Like, these baby teeth should have been long gone. Did your mama keep baby teeth? Girl, no. I was the last of four kids. I'm lucky that I'm alive. My mama still kept baby teeth. Your mama had her teeth after she died. I found them, remember? (laughs) True. So clearly, police had a homicide on their hands, but the problem was where to begin. They didn't know who she was, so there was literally nothing to go on. So they start looking to see, are there any missing persons in the area? Because it's a relatively small town, so, you know, let's see, are there any missing persons in the area just to, maybe she matches the description, but there was nothing. If they got tips, okay, well, let's check out these tips to see, but again, nothing. So it's 2006. DNA is a thing. So let's try to get a DNA profile, run it through everything that they have in 2006, and see if we get a hit. But nothing. But what they did find was some semen on the body. So they put the semen through all the DNA things, CODIS, all the things, and it actually came back to someone. Oh, shit. Well, good. The DNA came back to a guy who was a local, and he was a sex offender. (gasps) So police bring him in, question him, and he's like, yeah, I hooked up with a girl, but I don't know who her name was. Like, it was just like a fling, like a one-time thing. I have no idea her, even her name. Again, based off of the fire and all of that, police had an idea of the time of death, and the guy had an alibi. So police are like, back to square one. Fuck, what do we do now? Man, I don't know how police do some of their shit because it's like roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. I'm telling this very quickly, but this takes a long time. I mean, think of how long it takes the DNA to come back and, you know, interviewing these people and all of this. So while I'm telling this story quickly, it's not happening quickly. Again, it's a relatively small town and the county actually paid for her to be buried and they put on the headstone Jane Doe because again, they had nothing. There was a Dateline episode on this story called The Woman With No Name. That's where the bulk of this comes from, but there were other references used to. So eventually a Texas Ranger was like, you know what? An artist could help you like reconstruct the face to see if anybody recognizes her. They made a clay model of the face and sent it out to everybody to see if anybody recognized who the person was. There were a couple leads, but again, it all amounted to nothing. But 2006 is the era when people really started with like Reddit and web sleuths and really looking at genealogy and using DNA to figure out who people are. And this case actually ended up taking off on the internet. It's so bizarre, like the detail that she had her baby teeth still, it was like a magnet to people, I feel like. But really, it has nothing to do with the story. It's just so, it's rare. And so I think that that's what made people like, well, surely we can figure out who this is based on this detail. But really, it has nothing to do with anything. Also, maybe it just made her seem more innocent and young, like she still had her baby teeth. True. So instead of just calling her Jane Doe, on the internet, she started being referred to as Lavender Doe because of the color of the shirt that she was wearing when her body was found. So there was a guy named Kevin Lord. Kevin was like a jack of all trades, but he was really good at the internet and he really liked true crime. One thing that he liked to do is dig into missing person cases, really go into the stories that people didn't really know anything about. So basically he had a missing person and would try to see if a body had been found, did it match the description, would kind of do that type of sleuthing. When he heard and read about Lavender Doe, he was like, hmm, wonder if this matches anybody that I've been looking at. So one day, after he's done all the, like, Reddit pages, all the websites, all the things, he ends up just calling the Gregg County Sheriff's Department and talks to the lead detective. His name is Lieutenant Eddie Hope. 
I have to say, when I saw this, I was like, I'm so surprised at that detective talk to him and didn't just be like who are you what do you want like you're you're nobody like I'm not talking to you about this but they actually talked and became friends in a way but became partners more so the lieutenant really realized what Kevin Lord could give him and offer him that he wasn't able to do one time to dig into this because you know life moves on as a police officer and there's more cases to be solved and more arrests to be made and all of that and you can't stay on this one case with no leads for years and years and years but I think Kevin had had so much experience that I feel like he at least kind of knew his shit. So Lieutenant was a little more like, oh, okay, you know what? Okay, this is what I know that, you know, he just was a little more open to it because it, I think Kevin really kind of knew what he was talking about. And also they had nothing to go on. As Kevin compared notes with the Lieutenant, he realizes like this lavender dough is nobody that I have in my missing persons. Once Kevin realized like, okay, she's not matching up with anybody that I have, I'm gonna try to take this one step further. So he actually reached out to the DNA Doe Project. A lady named Colleen Fitzpatrick founded this nonprofit. Colleen Fitzpatrick partnered up with Margaret Press to develop this nonprofit foundation to help like connect the DNA to help people figure out, you know, who people are. And these women are so smart. Margaret Press, she's a novelist, and she's just like really into the genealogy thing. And then Colleen Fitzpatrick is literally a rocket scientist. Oh, shit. And basically, the, you know, their thought process was if you can figure out who, if you can figure out who someone's parents are, you can figure out who they are. So that's where they started. So Margaret will put in a request to get their DNA and then upload it into public databases from people who fill out like 23andMe and like Ancestry.com, all those things. And there's so many different ones. And honestly, I don't know which ones go into this public database because I'm sure some have more stringent privacy policies than others. But I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm about it. Me too. Oh, me too. I feel like I understand the side of it's my privacy, it's my DNA. Well, don't fill it out. Like, if you don't want anybody to know, then don't do it. But I feel like if you're submitting it to these companies and they can figure out that your great-grandfather's brother's son's sister, doesn't even make sense, but you get the point, murdered someone or is this victim? Like, why would you not want that? Yeah. Especially if you're listening to this podcast. If you're into true crime, paranormal, and all of that, then you're into figuring out people's stories and who they are and why they do the things they do, even if it's paranormal, because you still want to know the background. Well, how do you think they know these backgrounds is they look into people. Well, how do you think they figure out these people? They got to know the people that they're around, you know, their families, etc. Like, why would you not want these people found? Yeah. And it's not just about catching the bad guys. It's figuring out who the victims are too. If you don't want your shit out there, then don't do it. Like, again, I get if you want your privacy, but then just you know, like Facebook, just keep on scrolling. Same thing. Don't do it. Keep on going. So at the beginning of this, they paid out of their own pocket for the DNA testing. And then, you know, set up the nonprofit, getting donations, that kind of thing. With this DNA Doe project, in six months, they had already solved their first case. Wow. And then right after that, like weeks later, is when the genealogy world broke wide open with the Golden State Killer being caught. Wait, what? The murder took place in 2006. We're years later now. Oh, okay. Because I was like trying to do the math because I'm like, that's when we were podcasting and that wasn't when we were like... Right. Math was not mathing for me. Right. We're years later at this point. You know, a timeline wouldn't be nice. Well, I done told you that this... I'm telling this story fast, but it happens in real life slow. (laughs) Meanwhile, I just said, I done told you. Somebody's Southern grandma just flew out my mouth, and I don't know who it was. (laughs) So because of the Golden State Killer and all of that coming out, genealogists really started being like, wait, I'm going to actually volunteer my time, and I'm going to help companies like the DNA Doe Project to figure out who these people are. So Kevin Lord, who I talked about before, joined up with them volunteering to try to help solve some of these cases, and primarily looking for who is Lavender Doe. So you got to think, this is a painstaking process that takes hours upon hours upon hours. Like, they talk about how, in the Dateline episode, like, how they get lost in their work. And I think it was Keith Morrison was like, so, I mean, like, you easy to get lost, like, 10 hours, you know, in a day. And they're like, oh, that's a slow day. Like, you know, they're spending whole days honed in on this project 
and ignoring their real lives. So there was a lady named Missy Korsky. She'd been helping people who were adopted find their biological parents. And one day, one of the people that she's helping gets a call from the DNA Doe Project. Says like, hey, we think you may be related to someone. And so this got her interest peaked. And she's like, well, can I call them? And then she and Kevin and a lady named Lori joined up and basically made this trio of a team that spent hours delving into this case. But if you think about it too, it's such a small percentage of the population that take these tests that get uploaded and all that. So it really is a little bit of luck that comes with it, probably a lot of bit of luck, but also their skills obviously in doing the digging after it. But it's like that someone had uploaded their DNA to find somebody. So the DNA Doe Project actually makes a new sketch of Lavender Doe. They start to try to raise money to pay for a new DNA test. Because again, 2006, and we're talking coming up in very current times. So things have changed a little bit. We needed updated testing. So they end up raising enough money, I think it was like $1,400 or something, to get the testing done. They find that there are 27 first cousins that could be matched with this person. Holy shit. So you've got so-and-so married to so-and-so who had a kid with this person who got divorced. That's a lot of things to be digging through. That family tree had roots. (laughs) So while this is all happening, there's a woman named Felicia Pearson. Felicia had recently been reported missing and she had been last seen with this boyfriend. And unfortunately, Felicia was actually found murdered. Again, this is like 2018 happening. When the police go to figure out, okay, she was last seen with an ex-boyfriend. Who is he? They find out that he is Joseph Wayne Burnett. And the police are like, damn, that name sounds familiar. Who the fuck is Joseph Wayne Burnett? And then it hit him. That is the same person whose DNA was found on Lavender Doe 12 years ago. The sex offender? Yes. <gasps> so the police arrest him and bring him in for questioning. But what happened when he was interviewed was not only did he admit to killing Felicia, he said that he also killed another girl and burned her years ago. Oh my gosh. And of course, police are like, oh, we know who that is and we know what you did. So he tells police that... He had an alibi, though. It had to have been not very good. Honestly, I don't really know about the alibi, but whatever it was, it didn't stick. He tells police that he strangled her with a rope. But then he also tells police that it only took a couple of seconds. And I'm like, that's not how that works. But I don't I don't know if he was trying to, like, minimize just how gruesome it was. I don't really... That had to have been why, because we know that strangulation does not take seconds. But when police are like, okay, well, who is she? He had no idea. He was like, I think her name's Ashley, but I actually don't really know. So, okay, now they have this guy that confessed to actually murdering her, and we know that his DNA was on her, so it was him. But who the fuck is she? They still don't know. So police end up finding this woman in East Texas who was very close to where Lavender Doe was actually found. Now, when they go to talk to her... They're like, this has got to be her relative. Like, it's so close to where she was found. There's a connection with the DNA. Like, this has to be somebody very important who's going to know who she is. But when they go to talk to her and they're like, is there anybody in your family that's missing that you haven't seen in a while? And she's like, no, there's literally nobody. So Kevin was like, okay, she doesn't have a relative that she knows of that's missing. Because again, these people could be your 14th cousin twice removed. You know, I mean, you wouldn't know who they are necessarily, but they could be related to you. So Kevin's like, hey, have you done an ancestry test like that we can have a copy of? And she's like, absolutely, here you go. So based on like her results, they find out that their parents were probably first cousins. So they were really on the right track here. But again, remember that whole 27 first cousins things? So they figured out that this woman in Texas had this distant cousin who she didn't know. And her name was Robin. And Robin had a daughter. But this daughter basically just disappears from Earth in like 2006. So they're like, okay, this is, we're on to something. 2006 is when the murder happened. Like, we're on to something. So when they go to try to figure this out, 
they find out that Robin has actually passed away. So they find this guy who's like, yeah, I have a cousin who has a half-sister that's actually missing. And they find out her name is Dana Lynn Dodd. They find Dana's half-sister, Amanda, and she provides a DNA sample. And as soon as Amanda sees the bust of the, like, the clay model that they made, she was like, that's Dana. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? I really tried to look at the pictures of her and then look at the clay bust and then look at the other artist renderings of her. And I'm like, the picture, I'm like, I can kind of see a similarity in, but the rest I can't. But I wonder if it's because I'm not that close to her. Like, if it was your face, I would be like, well, that's fucking, well, everybody would be like, that's Donna because you're so recognizable. But like, (laughs) one of my sisters, would I be like, that's Casey. That's for sure her. Yeah. You know, and I feel like you would if it was somebody that close to you. She knew instantly. Amanda goes on to tell that Dana had a really hard life. Her mother was in and out of her life and then eventually passed away. Her dad had lots of girlfriends that were in and out. And she basically was just, when her mother was alive, was bounced back and forth between the dad and the mom. And when Dana was in her teenage years, Amanda was older, married with a kid. And she was like, you know what? Let's take her in. And she did. Amanda and her husband took Dana in and tried to show her the life and the love that she wasn't given before. But Dana, like anybody with trauma from being raised with parents like that, is constantly looking for that validation and that love. And even though Amanda and her husband gave her as much stability and love as they could, she still was yearning and looking for it in other places. So Dana eventually got a boyfriend that they didn't really love. There was some disagreements about that, but eventually I think that relationship kind of fizzled out. And Dana was like, you know what? I am getting my life together. And she decided to take a job with this magazine selling company, like where she would go door to door selling magazine subscriptions. And while Dana was out selling these magazines, she would call her sister at least every month or, you know, every couple weeks, whatever, just to be like, hey, I'm good. This is the city I'm in, yada, yada, yada check back in with you next month. But eventually, the calls stopped. How were they supposed to find her? You know, old Lieutenant Eddie is like, really? This is just a form of human trafficking. Because they get these kids, they tell them like, okay, you're gonna be able to make all this money and do all these things selling these magazines. And then they get them away from their house. And then they've got them in these like not so good hotels with all these drug dealers and sex work happening and all of that. And then they get put into that world. Either this is one that I've heard before and it it all just came together. It took that long. Who am I, my mom? (laughs) Or there was another one where two people were killed. Well, technically two people were killed by the same person, but not in the same I think it was a girl and a guy who did the door-to-door selling, but I could have it all fucked up. Well, they actually did find footage of Dana meeting Joseph Wayne Burnett in a Walmart parking lot where she was supposed to be like trying to sell him these magazines. He says that he killed her because she stole money from him. Who the hell knows? But she had money on her body, so mm, probably not. Like, if that's why you killed her, why wouldn't you have taken the money? Right. And they did eventually replace her headstone with her name, and her sister decided to leave her where she was buried because that community came together so much to try to help her and figure out who she was. They just felt like she was where she needed to be, and and so they let her stay there. Oh, gosh. That's so sweet and so sad at the same time. Long story short, about Joseph Wayne Burnett, he did end up pleading guilty. Like, at first he recanted, and then he pled guilty. And he was sentenced to 50 years in prison. For both of those murders? Yeah. That's it? I mean, also, he desecrated a corpse. True. Like, what the hell? 50 years? Which is surprising because he's actually eligible for parole in 2043. I mean, he won't get it, but he is eligible for it. But like, I'm like, this is Texas and he only got 50 years? Yeah, that's wild. I felt like this story was a little bit different that, I mean, obviously it had a murder in it, but I really like the focus on kind of the genealogy thing and and trying to figure out like who begot who, who begot who, you know? Yeah, it was like a forensic files too. And I really feel like this is the wave of the future. Like this is our DNA. Yeah. You know, the 80s DNA became huge and all of that, but it's like, this is our times DNA. You said that before. Have I? Look, I am nothing but consistently wrong. (laughs) But yes, I agree. It's just so exciting that you can figure out who's related to who and and how, whom, whatever. Figure out who these people are and help get them justice. 
Yeah. And give the families like some semblance of closure as little as that could be. Yeah. Well, and even in this case, it was a community's closure too. So true, because they really did come together. I'm so glad there was a resolution here. I mean, he should have got more than 50 years, but I'm so glad that Lavender Doe has a name and her sister doesn't have to wonder anymore. I just can't imagine what it was like for her sister not knowing all of those years and having no options. Like, she's in Florida. That was the last time they saw Dana. And then she left to travel the country doing these sales. So it's like, where do you even report her missing? I feel like I ended up reading this, and I could be making this part up, but I feel like I ended up reading this somewhere that it's like, she couldn't do a missing persons in Florida because, again, you don't know where she went missing from. I may have made that detail up. No, I think that's actually true a lot of places. I think you covered a case where... The mom couldn't call in a missing persons because the child was at college somewhere else or something like that. That may be why I'm making that detail up if I didn't read it somewhere. (laughs) But this whole like crowdsourcing for funds and, you know, to be able to do the DNA test, but also information and sleuths is like really becoming a thing. Oh, yeah. But at what point you get to the other side of the coin? Like on, um, what's that cyber show where it was like that, that was like that whole thing for a little while. It was like six episodes on Netflix where it was like the guy was going to die on the website. And if you went to the website, got so many views, it's like... At what point of this sleuthing, I mean, some of that's just you want to just watch, but some of that's like people trying to figure out like, okay, where are they? And okay, there's a sticker in the background and that's how they end up finding people a lot of times is, you know, sleuthing, but also it just brings more and more, you know, it's like, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. But I will tell you, I love watching the armchair detectives, like don't fuck with cats Yeah, and all of that because it's so interesting how detail-oriented those people are Mm -hmm. where it's like oh those are european outlets in this video like you know just things like that it's like oh my god yeah well because you know police officers may have 15 other cases on their caseload like you know they're doing everything that they possibly can to find what happened to your loved one but there's also 17 other loved ones that are hurt and missing or murdered and they're trying to help those families too and so they can only do what they can do with the resources that they have and that's assuming you have a good one because there's bad apples everywhere in every profession. Yeah. So I'm just assuming you got a good one. So hopefully y'all liked that one. It was a little different, a little less like detail with the murder, but hopefully y'all liked a little more of like the clinical side of it. Yeah, I liked it. I was shocked though that it was the guy that they had in 2006. I know, but I didn't see anything about the alibi that he had provided, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Well, I wanted to do something a little different too. And it's really not different. It's just something I haven't done in a while. And that was a cryptid. So I did a search and came across one I've heard about, but I could not find that I covered it. And it's the Beast of Bray Road. And when I looked it up in our suggestion box and everything in the Facebook group, I didn't see anyone straight out recommend it. So I'm very sorry if I overlooked someone suggesting this. But I did come across a post by Nan G about the cryptid and that she watched a documentary with some of her friends back in 2018. Nan. Yes. And I believe we've talked about Nan before. She's one of the OGs. Obviously, 2018, she was in the group. But she recently passed away. And it just filled my heart to see a post from her, you know, and to see her name again. And so I was like, oh, I'm definitely covering this cryptid now. Like I just mentioned, I'm going to talk about the Beast of Bray Road. So this cryptid resides in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and therefore sometimes is referred to as Wisconsin's werewolf or also known as the Wisconsin Dogman or Manwolf, a creature by many names. And this cryptid has the title of the most famous modern American werewolf. So I know you're like already picturing a werewolf, so I'm going to get into a little bit more detail about what the Beast of Bray Road is reported to look like. Just a spoiler, it is not the Twilight werewolf. I'm not mad at it. Don't act like you weren't a fan. Twilight, I watched it. I did watch it way later and I did watch them all, but I wasn't like a fan. I was not a fan. I mean, to each his own. If you're a fan, you're a fan. Mm -hmm. They're not my type, you know, so I wasn't like, oh my God, uh, I'm team Jacob or Edward. Right. 
Anyway, old Beastie Boy, as I like to call him. What a fun nickname. <laughs> he's been seen running around on all fours, but also walking up on his hind legs. And when he stands up, he's around six to seven feet tall. And Beastie's fur is brownish gray, or sometimes they say it's grayish brown. So he's got some like balayage going on. What do people actually call him? The Beast of Bray Road. Okay, so they literally say that every time and you're just, you just love nicknames. Okay. Yes. But they say the fur looks like a dog or a bear. However, his face looks more like a wolf or a German shepherd, and he even has pointy ears. He also has yellow eyes like Michael Jackson did in the Thriller video. I feel like in all these descriptions, it's like, he may be tall, but he also may be short. But he may also be on his hind legs, but he may also not have legs. Like, they're so, like, it tells you all of the options because none of them are real. Haters are gonna hate. So even though he has... (laughs) fur like an animal, his body is muscular and looks humanoid, just furry. Until it doesn't, and he's running on all fours, and then sometimes it does, but it doesn't. If y'all could see the face she was giving me right now. (laughs) So before I get into the sightings, I just want to say that Bray Road is a country road, and it stretches... I think four miles and you know my least favorite word ever. Rural. Yes. It's basically that type of road and it runs perpendicular to Highway 12 and parallel to 43, I believe. It might not sound too much of a back road when you're saying it's close to these highways, but the highways weren't built until the 1960s. So it wasn't always like that. And even still that it's close to the highways, it's still a road that is surrounded by farmland and trees. So it has that country, lonely road vibe to it. Do you know how much it's taken in me not to be like, country road? Take me home. I wish you never did. I mean, you're the one that keeps saying it, (laughs) ma'am. Well, a lot of sightings have been around Bray Road, hence it being part of the cryptid's name. You're going to love this part because the first sighting of the beast of Bray Road wasn't actually on Bray Road. Hmm. He travels. Okay. Like people do, but it was back in 1936, and it was close to Jefferson, Wisconsin, which is about 30 minutes away from Elkhorn. So it's not like it was a completely different state. That's like from here to a Starbucks. So it was an ordinary night of work for a 30-year-old man named Mark Shackleman, and he was a night guard for St. Coletta School for Exceptional Children. And let me pause to say, I applaud the school for that title because, you know, back in the day, they had some really, like, bad language that they would use, like, feeble-minded, yeah, you know, all of that. And this says exceptional children, but it was a school for youth with disabilities, And their goal was to train and care for these children so they could reach their full potential. And I just thought that was an awesome way of saying exceptional children. Yeah, I like that. The OT in me is proud. (laughs) So Mark was at work and it was around midnight. And where the school was, it was a small town, no real big threats, just, you know, local teens who were going to be assholes and vandalize the school or something like that. So they had a guard to protect the building and the grounds because the grounds of the school also had some fields that had Native American burial mounds. And so they were preserving them too and making sure no one fucked around with him. So he's on patrol and it's just, you know, the usual quiet night, no action, just earning a paycheck for his family. But then Mark was crossing one of the fields with the burial mounds and he noticed something just seemed out of place. And you know the deal, it was a shadow, darker than dark. And he thought it was a person at first, but the more his eyes adjusted and he shined his flashlight, He saw it wasn't a person. It was a creature. And he thought maybe it was a large dog just because of how the creature was on all fours and digging into one of these burial mounds. So Mark was kind of nervous because it was larger than any normal animal. But, you know, he has a job to do. But just then, the creature noticed Mark and he stood upright, towering at about six feet tall. And Mark took the best look he could get at the creature because he was, you know, probably frozen in fear at that point. But he said, you know, the tall creature had a dog-shaped head, like a fuzzy muzzle, pointed ears. And even though the body was furry, it was still defined like a muscular man. And then Mark was hit with a stench so bad, he almost threw up. 
He said it smelled like rotting meat. So, Bigfoot. No. Mark was frozen in fear, but luckily the beast turned quickly and ran off into the nearby woods and didn't return that night. Finally, after a bit, Mark regained his composure and continued working. And like I said, he had a family to provide for, so as much as he was shaken up from the night before, Mark returned to work the next night. And he was anticipating seeing the beast again. And, you know, he had talked himself into like, okay, you're not going to freeze. You're going to fight. You can do this. You know, you're not going to fear fart. You're going to protect the school. You're going to protect the burial mound. Well, I was thinking from She's the Man, you're a badass hunk of dude. Yes. (laughs) But when Mark was doing his rounds, he didn't see anything out of the ordinary until, oh shit, he did. It was the same field, the same burial mound, same creature. And it was still digging like it was trying to uncover something. Mark was ready to fight this huge ass creature because like I said, he had a job to do. But then the creature noticed Mark again, arose to his hind legs, and this time the beast snarled at him like a guttural growl. And Mark could see all of his teeth and you know, they would look like a canine's teeth, like werewolf canine. And he said again, like he growled and then ran off. And that was the last time Mark ever saw the creature. But he never forgot the fear he felt when he saw the beast. And now I feel like I'm talking about Beauty and the Beast. Did you see that meme that it was like, he's a beast, and then he's like, but I'm a millionaire, and she like turns back around? Yes, yes. Well, a couple of years later, there was another sighting of a super tall creature. A couple was driving back on a dark road, and they saw a creature that they described like a shaggy wolf-like man, and he was walking along the highway like a person would. They said he had really long hair all over his body, but again, you can see his body was very muscular. When their car beams flashed on the creature, he turned his head and looked at them and then snarled before vanishing into the shadow of the night. But then the next sightings weren't for a while, like decades later. There was a woman who said there was a large animal who was trying to break into her home. And, you know, she called the police. As she's doing that and trying to protect her home, she had horses on her land. And one of them she found was badly injured with a gash that looked like it was from claws and it was like from shoulder to shoulder. She also said that when she went to the barn to check out what was going on, she saw footprints. And the footprints were larger than most animals that she could think of. And she said they were 12 inches long, which cracked me up because, you know, it's a foot long. Like at some point, 12 inches is a foot long. And she's like, the foot was 12 inches. Well, there was a flurry of sightings reported from people in the 80s to the early 90s. A woman said she saw the beast because it crossed the road in front of her, and she gave the same description as others had. Another sighting is from 1989 when a bar manager, Lori in Drizzy, she was driving on Bray Road, like many others, and then she said she saw what she thought was a large man who was kneeling or squatting on the side of the road. So she slowed down to take a closer look and see if he needed help. But that's when she realized it wasn't a man, it was a beast. It had gray-brown fur, fangs, pointy ears like a wolf, and when it turned to face her, the eyes glowed bright yellow. She said she noticed it had roadkill in its hands, and the hands didn't really look like animal hands. They looked more human-like, but with fur and long claws. Okay, can we take it back just a second Mm -hmm. to your foot-long comment? Yes. Your shoe's size is the inches. Yes. So like a 12-inch foot shoe print is like a size 12 shoe. That's not that big. But for an animal. How big do you think a bear's foot is? Not that big, huh? Yeah, they're more this way. But like, I don't know. That didn't seem, that doesn't seem very big to me. Okay. Am I wrong? Y'all tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm probably not. I mean, not. just kidding. I'm not saying it's the biggest ever. It's not a Bigfoot, but... Literally, it's not that big of a foot. (laughs) I mean, I can't think of an animal besides, like, an elephant I'm thinking, like, uh, this is so stupid that this is what I'm thinking because it has nothing... A polar bear. Don't they have longer... Those bears have longer feet? I don't know. 
Just so y'all know, she Googled and could not find it. I couldn't, but I also really fucked up that Google search. (laughs) If you get the bloopers on Patreon, you will hear all that fuck up. Meanwhile, you forget to put it on the bloopers. (laughs) No, I'm not going to forget that. I wasn't wrong. Yes, you were. I didn't understand the Goog. (laughs) Okay, so skeptic over here. She's skeptical, but she ain't got no proof. Anyway, so in October of 1989, Scott Bray, whose family the road's named after, was out in a pasture at his dairy farm. He described a strange-looking dog in his pasture, and Scott said it was dark and had gray fur all over it, larger and taller than a German shepherd, but also it was very muscular. Scott wanted to get a closer look, so he tried to follow the beast, but he lost it in the night, only left with one of the large footprints. You know, the 12-inch footprint. Mm -hmm. Around the same time as Scott's encounter, a man came face to face with the beast. His name was Russell Guest, I think, G-E-S-T, and he said he was near a bush on Bray Road, and he heard something rustling in or behind the bush. Also, I want to be like, what were you doing? Just standing by a bush. Peeing. Yes. So he was caught with his pants down. Just thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when this creature emerged. It was very large and it stood on two legs. Russell didn't stay any longer than it took for his eyes to focus on the beast and he turned and ran. He was scared that the creature was following him. So he looked back and then it was on all fours like galloping, but going in a different direction. So Russell said it was some type of wolf-dog hybrid. Well, you got lucky, Russell, because, I mean, I may be a skeptic, but I know you're not supposed to turn around. Right? Well, in December 1990, there were some kids around 13 years old who had been sledding near a creek. They were on their way back home when they encountered the Beast of Bray Road. Heather Bowie is one of those 13-year-old kids, and she said at first they thought it was a big dog, but then it stood up. And her mom is like, what do you mean it stood up? And she's like, it stood up on its hind legs, and it walked. And she said it was silver-colored fur with brown in it, and the face was shaped like a coyote's, but the back legs were bigger than any coyote that she's ever seen, and it really made eye contact with the kids. So they all got freaked out, and they started to run away, and they heard the creature chasing after them. And Heather said it was like a big dog chasing them on all fours, but it was taking a bigger stride than any animal that she knew of. I mean, she's 13, but still, like, you can hear a difference of a dog or, you know, a cougar. Well, and honestly, some kids, I mean, not that I believe this, but uh, (laughs) some kids who are really raised outdoorsy do know that shit. Yeah. Well, she said when they reached the midway point to their house, the beast turned around and disappeared back into the cornfields. Yeah, because why would he chase them? Like, what's, if if he exists, and he's Mm -hmm. lived all these years, I mean, hell, 10 years between sightings, he's lived all these years, I mean, he's got to be... Well, you'd think he'd be like a second generation or some shit. I don't know. I mean, it could have been like, poof, there he is. But if he's real, he's got to survive. Like, he's not going to be going after these people. Because if he's going after people, then that means that he has to have them. But if he doesn't have to have them, then why would he do that and risk being caught and killed if he could die? I mean, a predator is going to prey. But what is he? Why? What is he predatoring? I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. But you're saying if he knew he could get killed, why would he do that? Well, people do that kind of stuff all the time. But, like, if people aren't, like, going missing, he's not eating them, then why would he go after people? Right. Like, you know what I mean? I get what you're saying. But in the moment, these people don't care if he's not following them all the way. It's just that this big fucking creature is there, and he does not look normal, and then he's chasing after him. Conversely, though, if you're all up in a shark's territory, uh, a shark's going to attack you and then go on about their business. So your conversely is for what? Like the opposite of what I was saying before. Like, yeah. Well, I get that, but like because I was saying, why would he attack them if he doesn't eat them and all of that? Yeah. But if he's protecting his area, then it makes sense. Okay, so you just I was answered yourself. I was trying to prove a point on both sides. So going back to old Beastie Boy, on Halloween night in 1991, Doris Gibson, an 18-year-old girl, was driving down Bray Road at night. She said that she was, you know, just driving cruising, having the time of her life, 
listening to music, and she felt a bump in the road, like she had ran over something. So she stopped to see what she had hit. Was it a limb, an animal? Because she hadn't seen anything in her path, but it was dark and kind of rainy. She said she looked all around and there was nothing on the ground. So she looked on the shoulder of the road thinking if it was an animal, it might have ran a little bit and she just wanted to make sure it wasn't badly injured. But that's when she saw a massive creature that looked like a wolf, but again, it was standing on two legs. She didn't freeze like I would have. She went into flight mode, ran back to her car and put the pedal to the metal to get out of that. But that's when she heard something behind her and it was a beast running and actually catching up to her car. And he grabbed onto the trunk with his muscular hands and claws, but she didn't slow down. She pressed harder on the gas, even though it was raining. You know, hydroplaning wasn't even in her purview. She did not care. But luckily the rain had made the surface slick enough that the beast claws couldn't hold on and he slid off. Doris didn't stop until she got home and that's when she checked the trunk and saw the two long claw marks. Now Doris did come forward and talk about her encounter with the creature on Bray Road. And after that, some other people were like, okay, um, that's us too. We've had that happen. Not that exact same thing, but like I told you, they've seen this big massive creature. It's chased them. It snarled at them, whatever. So other people were like, yeah, they're all delusional and the skepticism ran high. Well, the Walworth County paper, it's called The Week because it's published weekly, Clever. sent a freelance writer and a cartoonist, Linda Godfrey, to check this out and just see if there was any weight to these stories. Linda said she went in and she was a big skeptic. However, when she interviewed these witnesses, she saw the fear that they were reliving telling about these incidents. And she said they were all so believable and seemed sincere. How Linda was able to meet with these witnesses is part of the story. Because she was like, these people are reporting seeing a really large dog-like creature. So I'm going to check with animal control and shit to see if they're reporting this to them. So Linda talked to the county humane officer. His name was John Fredrickson. And he was like, oh, um, yeah, I've had a few reports. And that's when this man pulled out a manila folder that he had labeled werewolf. Oh my God. And it had almost 10 sightings in there. And John said he had taken the information down, but chalked it up to a coyote or a wolf and just put it in this folder and forgot about it. But the fact that this county official had made a file folder that said werewolf made Linda think, no, I really do have a story here. And like I mentioned before, she interviewed these witnesses. So she really started to believe they had all encountered the same thing, but there was no real explanation for it. Linda ran the story and more people contacted her to say like, oh my God, my dad used to tell me about seeing this big creature on Bray Road, but it was long before this ever came out. And so we thought he was lying and now I'm not so sure. There was one Reddit user who shared his story. The name is Not Ken Dorsey. This was in 97 to 98. And he lived in the town of Franklin, Wisconsin. They had just moved into a new subdivision, like brand new. They were the only ones who had a house built. So they had lots of empty lots beside them. But their backyard had a running creek. On the other side of the creek was some brush and a single lane road. And it had a wooden streetlight that gave off an orange hue about 30 yards away. So not Ken Dorsey goes on to say that it was a warm summer night and he had some friends of his spending the night with him. So they were doing normal kid shit, you know, had all the lights off and were playing hide and seek outside. The writer went back into their sunroom and that's when he saw something illuminated through the brush and that orange streetlight. And he described it as being hunched over, like in a position where you're about to throw up. He said that it was breathing so heavy that he could see the chest heaving in the distance. Now he was thinking, oh shit, it could be a sick animal. But they had a large Akita that was like 140 pounds. He was like, um, that thing was way taller than my dog, who was a big dog. He went on to describe how the hind legs were thick and muscular like a man's, but the body tapered at the abdomen and he had a head like a wolf. He called out to his friend and the friend came over and was like, what the fuck is that? You know, try not to make too much noise, but like, what the fuck are we looking at? 
So they sat there and they watched it for like 30 minutes in this one position. And so his dad, who he describes as a hard-ass Vietnam vet, came out and he was like, what are you doing up so late? Like, what are y'all doing? And the boys were just like, what is that? Like, do you see that? What is that? And the dad was like, I don't know. So he went outside and he had one of those mega lights, like the ones that's like Mm -hmm. power of a thousand candles. Yes. Well, he took it with him and he stood in the driveway, shined it on the creature. And that's when the creature's eyes made contact with theirs. And he said, honestly, I don't remember its eye color. But what I do remember is how it took off into the brush on two legs like a sprinter. He said his dad heard it splash through the creek and he hightailed it back home. And the writer said it was just one of those fucked up moments you don't really talk about because you're going to be like, oh, people are going to think I'm delusional. But when he heard about other sightings, he's like, wait, that's what we saw. Now, the sightings slowed down after the 90s, but there have been a few sightings since then. Like in November 2006, Steve Kruger was on his daily route where he was picking up like roadkill and he had thrown a deer carcass in the back and started to fill out the paperwork before driving off. He said he felt the truck shake and he looked in his rearview mirror and he saw the beast of Bray Road. He said it was very hairy and bulky and he said it had a muzzle or a snout that was bigger than a bear but not quite a wolf. He said it had to be at least six or seven feet tall. So Steve was like, oh, shit. And he figured he could drive fast enough to maybe, you know, do some fast and furious type shit and get the creature like off kilter and get out of the back of his truck. So he did that and the beast held onto the carcass and then leapt out of the truck and he did some damage to the truck as he left. Oh, and I forgot to say, you know how you said, like, if the beast was preying on people, there would have been a lot of killings and missing Mm -hmm. people? Well, there were a lot of animal mutilations around the times of these sightings, which, hello, a lot of people had seen the beast, what they assumed was roadkill, but it could have been, like, you know, a little midnight snacky snack for old Beastie Boy. Well, I mean, a guy's gotta eat. (laughs) The most recent sightings of the beast were in February 2018, and July 2020. And the witnesses said they encountered a large hairy creature who stood upright. And both sightings were in different cities in Walworth County, which is where Elkhorn is located too. Now, I know you, being the skeptic you are, have noticed that basically all of these encounters occurred at night. And that gives, you know, the skeptics the chance to say, oh, they just saw something in their headlights and their mind created a monster. And that could be it. But a lot of the witnesses insist that they saw something that looked as close to a werewolf as they ever thought they would. Some of the skeptics say, oh, no, it was just a really large dog, like a Great Pyrenees. And I'm like, okay, well, one, I have a Great Pyrenees that is on a road connecting to mine, and it is the fucking beast of Bray Road, okay? Because it will charge at cars. It will do all the things. It is a menace to society. It really is. You would know the difference of that dog and a werewolf. I know that dog does not just routinely just go up on its hind legs and walk around. Yeah. Now, another explanation, which I could believe this, is that it's a black bear, which they were spotted in the area, but they say the reason why you could see its body more is that the bear might have had mange. And so that's why it appears kind of grotesque. And again, it's missing patches of its hair. And so you see more of the build than just like the fluff. Have you ever seen those pictures of a hairless bear? I don't think so. Like I physically can't look at this. Ew! Yes! Google hairless bear. And it's literally the first thing that pops up. And it is awful. So like it really could have been a bear with mange. Because that is a lot. (laughs) Disgusting. So what do you think? A werewolf, maybe a skinwalker, because it did have the Native American burial mounds, some unidentified canine species, or just a large animal with mange. That. Especially when I saw that picture of the bear. Obviously not that one, but I could see, you see its body more. And so you could see it being muscular, standing up on its hind legs. And a bear stands up on its hind legs. Yeah. Especially when it's like not attacked, but threatened. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about the Beast of Bray Road, Linda Godfrey wrote a book called The Beast of Bray Road, Tailing Wisconsin's Werewolf, like T-A-I-L-I-N-G. 
Like I mentioned, Nanji watched a documentary called The Bray Road Beast, and it's free on Amazon Prime. I know you don't like the cryptids, really. It's not that I don't like them. I just don't believe it. <laughs> but I thought it was something a little bit more lighthearted. We were both on the same page this week. Yeah. That very rarely happens. Right? I just think that for the cryptids, there's a reasonable explanation that's typically easier to find than, like, a ghost. Maybe. And I believe when people say, like, hey, this is my father or my mother or whomever, I have had someone tell me they saw Bigfoot and I 1,000% believed them because I trust them. And, yeah. like, they're, they're, like, for real when they're telling you. You can tell they're not telling a tall tale. They really believe what they saw. So, like, that, you tell me your personal story, I'll be, like, all up in it, I'll believe you. But you tell me a story like this, and I'm like, ah, it didn't happen. <laughs> okay, so you're a situational skeptic. Yes, just like I like individual cats, but not cats as a whole, that's how I am with uh, cryptids. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's probably a bear with mange, but I do love cryptids and I love the lore and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah, but you can like the stories and still be reasonable about what it is. Yeah. And I don't necessarily disbelieve people when they say their stories, like with this. Like, I think that they did see what they thought they saw. But like you said, it's the dead of night, you're tired, the light's weird, and you can't just quite make out what you're seeing. And so whatever that thing's called where your brain tries to make sense of what you see, yeah, there's like a real word for it. So they try to make sense of what they see and their brain can't, so a cryptid. Yeah. But is there a bear that's been living out there for over 10 years with a mange? Who knows? Well, y'all let us know what y'all think. Y'all know we want to know, especially if you agree with me. Oh, God. <laughs> and what are y'all's thoughts on the DNA genealogy, all of that? I am for it, but I do not want to spit into that tube. I feel like there's other ways, no? You told me there was only that spit thing. I probably did, but you know what? And I believe you. You can't believe me because <laughs> I say things that I don't really know are true. <laughs> You're an unreliable narrator. Wait, the other day, okay, this is a perfect example of I'm just fickle. Like, I'm going to tell you how I feel in that moment. But like, if you ask me tomorrow, I may feel completely different. Oh, I know. So Colby showed me these golf shoes that one of his coworkers was like, which which one of these are your favorite? I was like, well, let me look. I'm going to pick. And I picked and I was like, I like these the best. And he looked at me like he was going to axe murder me. And I was like, what? He said, you told me those were ugly three weeks ago. <laughs> Well, I like them now, so. Well, and also you just said you like them the best out of the options. True. Touche. But I really did like them. <laughs> but yes, you are like that. Well, thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.